0: Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. To stay connected to all that's happening here, visit Redeemertulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This message is a part of our sermon series, Why? New Year Big Questions. Now, here's our associate pastor, Adam Barnett. Well, good morning. I am going to clear the air before I preach the word uh, today. I coach my son's basketball team, they're second graders, um, and a a brother in this church coaches with me, and we've got a few families that worship here, and I just love my 10 boys. They're young men in training, and they've come so far. And yesterday, uh, we were really put to the test, we were down 0-7 to in the first quarter, and uh, As a coach, you know, you're looking at second grade boys, they're down 0-7, to it's the end of the world, Um, game's over, yet, you know, I called a timeout, I motivated the boys, the referee was out of his mind, and, you know, you let this age get away with a walk or a double dribble, Uh, you let them get away with it until they get an offensive advantage, and so the point guard of the other team, uh, this is basketball, he had about 180 rushing yards in the game yesterday. So I called a timeout. I gave that referee an earful. I got a little spicy with him. And the boys saw their coach defending him, and we came back and won 16 to 15. Thank you. Stop, please. Please. Um, however, I was thinking this morning coming here, if that referee, because my wife and I invite a lot of people to church. We love this church. If that re- referee happened to worship here today, I-, I figured I ought to publicly apologize to him. Sir, if you are here Let's put the past behind us, and let's be united in Christ today, moving forward. All right, and we won 16 to 15. Uh, Let's turn to John chapter 14. Uh, If you forgot your Bible, uh, there's a red one located under the seat in front of you, and if the Bible is new to you, I want to make sure you can find John chapter 14 quickly. It's page 1675 in the Red Bibles. We're in a series called Why and we're starting our year by focusing on some common but difficult questions when it comes to our faith life. Bill has preached to the subjects of why are we here and the purpose of this life and why do good things happen to, uh, why do bad things happen to good people. Uh, This morning I'm attempting to answer why is Jesus the only way? And since all of my answers are biblical, I will finish the series next week by preaching to the question, why is the Bible authoritative? Questions are critical to spirituality. Uh, They're critical to our spiritual growth and understanding of who Christ is and to our spiritual formation and maturity. Author Caroline Westerhoff puts it this way, our danger lies in questioning too little, rather... Than too much. After all, she says, our questions can be the voice of God. I had never thought of it that way until I read her book. We learn at a young age, a very young age, uh, to ask the question why. Our inquisitive little minds are starving for meaning and explanation. And I think it's adorable when you see a first time parent uh, with their first child who reaches that toddler age and 1,492 times over the course of 24 hours, the little kid says, why, mom? Why? Why, dad? Why? 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 And then the fourth child arrives and starts asking the same question, why? And you know, when it's your first child, you see mom answering with as much detail, elaborate detail, patiently, exhaustingly trying to give reason and explanation to every question. And the fourth child starts asking why, and parents tenderly beg, would you just please go away? One answer that we can all relate to as parents, our go-to answer when we don't want to or need to provide any explanation to our children, and it's the trump card to every child's demand for reason. You know what the answer is, don't you? Because I said so. And immediately when we play that card, we refuse that child's right to have any explanation. And as a parent, it feels pretty good, because I said so. And that's all you need to know. Jesus played the same trump card. He did. It's in the text that we're going to look at today, and if we ever ask, why is Jesus the only way? If we ever struggle with that question and demand a reason and an explanation as to why is Jesus the only way, he plays that trump card, and it's a perfectly sufficient answer to the question, why is Jesus the only way? Because he said so. And that wraps up my sermon today. Thank you for coming. I'm just kidding. We'll look at the text together today where he says so. John chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, Jesus says to his disciples as he's comforting them. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. As we see throughout the text, the disciples often required further clarification to fully comprehend the meaning behind Jesus' words. So, Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going, and here chimes in Thomas. Uh, No, Lord, actually we don't. Sorry to tell you, sorry to break it to you, we actually don't know the way. So, can you tell us with greater detail how to get there? And then here comes this great, conclusive I am statement of Christ for all the I am claims that we see throughout the Gospels, where Jesus says, I am the bread of, the li- bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the door and the vine and the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. It all comes down to this statement when Jesus declares, I am the way. And I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one is going to ever come to the Father and be redeemed by God's love and grace except through me. Now, I want to acknowledge right away as we look at this text that this is difficult to read and to hear. It it can sound uncomfortable, and it can be perplexing, and these words from Jesus can cause great tension, John 14 6 can feel exclusive if you are a Christ follower today and there's somebody in your life that is not a Christ follower and you go have a cup of coffee with them and you say I want to tell you about Jesus the love of Jesus he's the way and if you're not walking in the way then that text can feel exclusive that text can be polarizing in our relationships that truth can divide us from people who don't walk with Christ This I just want to say it. This text sounds exclusive. How can there only be one person and one way that is the answer and the remedy to the human dilemma? I mean, we are searching for reasons and answers and explanations every day of our life for every challenge we could ever have. You go to Google with any problem you have and you're going to have 10,000 answers. So how in the entire human dilemma throughout the course of history and for everyone that is to come, how can there be only one person that is the answer to this dilemma? And here's the thing. Jesus is not being exclusive in he's saying, I, I don't want you to go try any other person. That's not what this text is saying. This text is Jesus saying, friend, no other person is coming for you. See, it's not exclusive in saying, don't go try this or that. Don't go try that God, that deity, that, that way to achieve and attain salvation. He's saying there's no one else coming. I'm the way because there's nowhere else you can possibly turn. And I have come for you and to you. God is proactive here. He is an initiator of love. See, Christianity is not this set of rules that we have to read and follow in order to go find God. We're the ones that are lost. God found us. He sent Jesus Christ for us. We are lost, and we've been found. Jesus comes to show us the way to the Father. If God needed us, he would say, come find me. Thank God we don't have to find him, and he came to find us. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias offers this awesome definition of this rescue mission called the gospel. He says, the greatest ethic is love. Where love is a possibility, freedom has to be given. Where freedom is given, there is always the possibility of sin. Where there is sin, hearts rebelling against God, there is the need for a Savior. Where there is a Savior, there is the possibility of redemption. And that's the gospel. For some, the invitation to follow Christ and to believe that He is the only way can feel and sound just too irrational. Simply put, this is too unreasonable. This is too hard for me to believe. And without a supernatural experience, a supernatural, out-of-this-world encounter with the Holy Spirit, I want to say I understand why people need further evidence and further reason to believe what we read in the text. I get it. It can be difficult. And guess what? Jesus knew this too. He knew he's saying things to his disciples that they didn't understand yet. He says, this is my body, it'll be broken to you. Especially Thomas is probably sitting there going, what? I don't understand. And many times we don't understand. And so when faith in and of itself is difficult, Jesus says in verse 11, and listen, I love the tenderness that you see in Jesus in this one verse. The tenderness and and, and the patience in his tone. He says, believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is is, is in me. Believe me. Please, put your faith and trust in me and in this message. But if that's too difficult for you, if you're still warming up to the idea that the Father is in fact in me and I'm in the Father and that I am God, if you're still warming up to that and that's difficult for you, then hey, at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. If this is too hard, putting faith in me, I'm going to give you evidence to support my invitation to put your faith in me. Isn't that tender? I mean, Jesus could just say, hey, you better believe or get lost. But he says, for those of you who are struggling to believe, I'm going to give you evidence that will help you believe. Peter was physically standing next to Jesus one day, and the Messiah looks over to him and says, Peter, who, who do you say that I am? Who do you say? And Peter confidently replies to the Messiah, "You are the Christ. You are the Son of the Living God." And Peter, of course, had the luxury of following Jesus in close proximity and watching this evidence that Jesus is referring to in verse eleven. He saw Jesus's works. He saw and experienced the Messiah's power. And so he could say that because he was an eyewitness. However, what he saw had him so convinced that Jesus was who he says he was, that he was the way and the truth and the life. Peter was so convinced he would one day be crucified in Rome upside down for his loyalty to the gospel. That's how much this follower of Jesus was convinced in the truth of Christ. So, the Bible is full of evidences that support Christ is Lord. And so, for the next hour and a half, we're going to walk through ten. I'm just kidding. You could have a seminar on this. So, for the remainder of our time together, uh, I just want us to focus on four. Number one, Jesus performed miracles. As hostility grew around his claim to be God and And the religious elite were pushing back on him and saying, this can't be true. He says this to a group of unbelieving Jews in John 10. Even though you do not believe in me. He's acknowledging. I I, I see you. I hear you. You're not believing in me. Even though you're not believing me, believe the evidence of the miracles. There it is again. Believe the evidence of the miracles so that you may learn and understand that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. He healed the sick and the blind and the deaf and the crippled and he commanded the waves and the wind and he raised the dead and people saw his miracles and the scriptures tell us when they saw his miracles, they started to believe the seed of faith was planted in their heart and they got up and they followed him and even people were following him that didn't have faith in him. They were just following him out of intrigue. This guy's doing supernatural, out of of this world kind of stuff. And out of intrigue, they would follow and watch and learn, and then they would have faith. And here's the funny thing. This is amazing. This is comical to me. When you read the story unfolding, when Jesus claims that he's God, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they call this meeting of the Sanhedrin, because when we disagree with each other in family and in church and in work, we call meetings. And so they call this meeting and they sit down, and here's what they say in Scripture. It's documented. Here's a man who's performing many miraculous signs, if we let him go on like this, everybody is going to (laughs) believe. Come on. His opposition did not deny his power. I mean, they're talking about his back, and they could say a whole lot of nasty things. And what do they say? He's doing all sorts of things. Miraculous signs of power. If if we don't stop him, everybody is going to believe in him. And so in their meeting, they launched this strategy to stop him. And their strategy was to kill him. He performed miraculous signs and wonders. Number two, Jesus lived a sinless life. Life. He even challenged his enemies on multiple occasions. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Have any of you found any sin in me? Come forward if you have. He was a sinless man. John, Paul, and Peter who were all taught and trained uh, at at a young age to understand the depravity of humanity, to understand the law of the Old Testament and the necessity of sacrifice to, to make us right with God. These three spoke of Jesus in this way. They spoke of His purity. They said He committed no sin. There's no deceit on His lips. Pilate, who sentenced Jesus to death... Openly defended him that day. What evil has this man done? What evil has he done? A Roman guard who assisted in killing Jesus said, Surely he was the Son of God. The criminal on the cross next to Jesus cried out, I deserve this punishment. I'm a wretched man. What has he done? He doesn't deserve this death. His opposition is seeing that he is sinless. And all throughout Scripture, we see he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he performed miracles. This is the evidence. He lived a sinless life. Number three, he died without a fight. Jesus died without a fight. Isaiah 53, 7 tells us he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. For claiming to be God, he was lashed with a whip. The ends of the whip, metal and bone, fragmented ends, a crown of long thorns was beaten into his skull, and he was forced to carry his cross and walk to his own execution outside of Jerusalem. They put him on that cross, and they drove nails through his wrist and into his feet. And as he hung there bleeding and really struggling to collect his next breath, he reaches out with compassion and kindness and forgiveness and forgives those who are killing him. And he died. He laid down his life. Everyone knew that Jesus said he would rise from the dead in three days, so Positioned outside of the tomb, there's a guard of trained Roman soldiers watching the tomb. But Jesus didn't stay there. And we'll get to page four when somebody says amen. Thank you very much. Number four, Jesus defeated death. He didn't stay in that tomb. His resurrection is the supreme and most critical evidence that demonstrates his divinity. Let me say that again. His resurrection is the supreme and most critical evidence that demonstrates his divinity. Five times in his life. Five times he predicts that he would die. He predicts the exact way in which he would be killed. He says, I will be buried. I will be there three days and then I'll walk out of that tomb. Five times he says this. If the early skeptic, think about this, if the early skeptic wanted to discredit Jesus' divinity, all they had to do was come up with a body. That's it. You come up with a body, you prove he's a liar. And they couldn't even do that. Now, some historians speculate that the disciples stole Jesus' body while the guards were sleeping. Let me tell you something. This is highly unlikely. Number one, because the disciples probably weren't smart enough to come up with that kind of strategy. But number two, these were professionally trained Roman soldiers. And they knew and understood that falling asleep on the job, you would be punished by death. I mean, these guards, they had like first century Red Bull or something. Because they were stationed outside and they were not going to sleep. I'm going to tell you that much. Plus, the disciples would soon be tortured and killed for preaching this message. That Jesus rose from the dead. They put their life on the line in support of this message. Let me tell you something. Even irrational people don't put their life on the line for something that is a lie. Irrational people don't put their life on the line for something that could even be false. His resurrection is the supreme and most critical evidence that demonstrates and supports his divinity. Why Jesus is the only way that's a question that all of you here today who pledge allegiance to Jesus Christ have got to be able to answer. In your own life, as you have opportunity to either share your faith or defend your faith, you have got to be able to stand up and firmly and confidently say, This is why Jesus is the only way. The kingdom of darkness is waging war against souls right now all over the globe. And, and the kingdom of darkness is providing false hope through good deeds and traditions and mysticism and religion and prosperity and enlightenment and paths and pillars and nobility. And all of these are lies. I think These messages are being preached all over the world. And Christ came to reveal the love of the Father. He came and found us when we were lost to deliver us to the Father safely. He came to redeem our lives from the pit of hell, which is what we all deserve. And instead, make us righteous through his power and deliver us into safe, secure eternity in the presence of God for all of eternity. That's who Jesus is. And all the while, because of all these other messages, hopeful people, precious people, are walking into spiritual banks and they're trying to deposit fraudulent checks. And it's not working and it breaks my heart. And for us, our message as Christ followers is that Jesus Christ is our mediator. He is our advocate. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. For my sin, I deserve the payment of death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's our message. He is my mediator with the Father. Because of him, I have faith that he is exclusively and sufficiently the only way. There are no back doors when it comes to your soul. There's no artificial grace to be found or discovered anywhere. There's no alternative route. There's no backup plan. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus Period. And that's what we stand on. All of humanity, at some point, wrestles with four fundamental questions. Our origin? Where do we come from? Our meaning? I mean, what truly is my purpose with this life? Our morality, like who am I really? And our destiny. This is going to be over someday. You know, life to death is a one-to-one ratio when it comes to humanity. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when this is over? And you know, I want to close by drawing your attention to the fact that Jesus Christ is deeply immersed and the answer to all four of those questions. Jesus Christ is immersed in our origin and our meaning and our morality and our destiny. The very thing that we're searching for It's found in him. And I'm here to tell you him alone. Nothing else. Everything else is a house built on the sand. It won't stand. So, why is Jesus the only way? Because Jesus is ultimately the why that all of our souls are searching for. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, you are good. And you saw us in our place of depravity and brokenness and sin, the very thing that separates us from your presence, and you sent us your solution. God in the form of flesh, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we stand here today and say that we live in a world and a culture that tells us the answers found in all sorts of other things and people. I just ask, Lord, that you would strengthen, fortify our faith this day. For people who are experiencing doubts, meet them in that place. Meet them in their questions. And For all of us, God, help us to live our lives as living sacrifices after we consider and remember all that you have sacrificed for us.